the juices flowing for this morning, right? So that part is always in your bulletin. Um, and that gives you a little bit of an idea as far as where we're headed, okay? So it says, what kind of talents do you have? Do you know a lot of people who crave attention, right? Attention cravers, it's just like they have to be the center of attention, center of the room. You know, they're always asking, oh, did I do a good job? You know, was that good enough? And um, do you have a favorite prayer spot? Is there any particular place or spot where you just really enjoy uh, to sit down in prayer? Um, and then you have your bonus, right? Does your secret or private life reflect your faith? So all those questions are meant to, uh, you know, give you a chance to think about. And maybe answer, you know, maybe this morning or later on. But things just to kind of get the juices flowing. To get you thinking about kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So, let's start off with this. Okay? Um, and I think, yeah, the slide is up there. We'll be in Matthew chapter 6, so you can turn there. And as you're turning there, uh, we're going to start off with, uh, we'll have you make a list. A little bit of a list. So what is this list going to be about? Now, let me preface this list by saying, listen, I understand that we should all be compassionate, understanding, <coughs> oozing with patience Christians, where hardly anything at all irritates us, bothers us, annoys us, and we just learn to appreciate the best of another person right away, and we're always able to overlook those things that we might find to be slightly annoying or slightly frustrating. I know we all do that. Okay, now back to planet Earth, right? So, what we're going to do, okay, or what I'm going to ask you to do is, um, and it's rhetorical, so you don't have to answer out loud, but in your mind, if you could think of maybe three, three types of people that you find kind of frustrating, kind of annoying. Three types of people that you just find, they just, I don't know, for whatever reason, they just kind of get to you. Okay? So as you're thinking about that, maybe something's going through your head, or maybe you're like, geez, I'm not sure. Maybe they come really fast. I don't know. But I made a little bit of a list. Um, I put seven on there. I didn't spend a ton of time thinking about it, but I, I made a list of seven. And so let's see what you think. This is my particular list. Um, so here's what I find to be a little bit annoying, frustrating in life, as far as types of people go. Fans who think they are on sports teams. You know, so you know these people by when you talk with them and, you know, their team played, the Knicks played, and they're, and they're like, yeah, we did this last night and in the fourth quarter we ran that play and we got that basket and then we went to the free throw line and it's like, wow, I had no idea you are on the team. Like, that's pretty awesome, but did not know you are on the roster. So fans who think they're on the sports teams, like they take ownership of it, it's like their whole life. Um, <laughs> telemarketers. Right? And I can say that because I was a telemarketer when I was like 16. It was a great job. It, was, it got paid uh, at that point. It was a really good wage at that point. It was like uh, nine bucks an hour. It was like the best thing in the world. But telemarketers, they always call at the wrong time. And it's just, I, I don't tend to have a lot of patience for them, really. Um, people who don't realize it's rude to pick your nose in public. <laughs> I run across a lot of that, right? You know, and then some people are like, well, hey, what's wrong with that? Um... Number four on my list, I had sports, and I guess it can go to a lot of different areas, uh, but because I, I, I enjoy sports and I watch a lot of sports, sports quote-unquote analysts. Like, I'm just really tired of a lot of analysts just giving their opinions all the time. They get paid who knows how much. They just talk about their opinions all day long. And as far as sports goes, it's like, you know what, let's just get to the game and see what happens. I don't really care what 50 other people have to say about it. Um... Or, it's this one, I don't get this too much anymore, but I remember early on when email was kind of like a new thing. Um, 
People who mindlessly send on every pointless forwarded email that comes their way. So if you think about it, you're just clicking on there and you just get all these emails thrown up your email inbox and it's like, did you think I'd be interested in that? Or just, you know, it's a weird thing about a toothbrush? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and then, so here's another one, right? So sometimes uh, you can be in conversations with people and it's not really a conversation at all, right? They just end up doing all the talking uh, and then it's like, well, would you like to hear anything maybe I have to say or would that be interesting to you at all? Or, um, and then here's the last one that I got. Okay, and this kind of has to do with what we're talking about this morning. People who say one thing and do another. I think that, is, that just irks me and I think that's probably right at the top of the list. Um, and you know what? Jesus had a hard time with that too. Um, and he wasn't just annoyed, he was really upset uh, because he was fed up with hypocrisy. That was like a cancer, it was like a yeast that was going on back then that just kind of crept its way into um, everything that had to do with God. And he was so annoyed and so irritated and really fed up with it um, that because he and his father, they weren't being represented in the right way. They're being falsely represented. The people that are there to represent God and to sort of put into perspective what God wants and what He asks, they were really doing a pretty horrible job as far as representing that. In fact, the way they represented God was they wanted to just benefit out of it themselves. So they were looking to try to soak up what I call like the three A's. They craved admiration, applause and acceptance. That was like what they wanted. Nowhere in there was it like, you know, we want to certainly, you know, bring glory, you know, to God. We want to help uh, explain and put in perspective to these people what God is about and what He asked and what the intent of, you know, the law and why God put these laws in place. Not so much. It was they wanted to be admired. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be applauded wherever they went and they wanted to be noticed. And they certainly wanted to be accepted. And these three things aren't necessarily bad in and of, them, of themselves, right? Um, I don't think it's bad for us to want to be admired. Certainly not. Uh, you know, who, nothing wrong with being applauded at certain times or being accepted by others. I think that's all healthy things. But it can get to a point where it's like something that people crave. And it's really bad when it's somebody who's supposed to be representing God and that's what they really crave. Because then it just puts things totally out of whack, totally out of focus. Very much a mixed message. So this morning, we're going to learn from this costly mistake of the Pharisees. They were like the religious leaders of that day. And what we're going to do, and I have it up here, right? We're going to uncover the secrets to fruitful, victorious, faithful Christian living. And secrets is actually a pun there, right? You know what a pun word is, right? It's a word and it has a kind of double meaning. So secrets, we're going to uncover those. And then secrets also has to, it's kind of a key concept in the passage we're going to look at today. So we're going to uncover secrets to fruitful, victorious Christian living. And specifically, it's going to be, uh, we're going to look at three spiritual disciplines that I think that could change someone's life forever. If I could tell them like three spiritual disciplines, if you, somebody thought, you know, whatever their idea of Christian life was, if they are to actually put in place these three spiritual disciplines, I guarantee, I, I don't really make a lot of guarantees really, I don't, 
uh, try and draw a lot of hard lines out of places unless God has. But this is one where I'm 110% confident about. If we put these into place, if we actually do it, we could actually use words like fruitful, victorious, faithful, peaceful. We could actually use those words and it could be actually attached to ourselves. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. And so to me, this is like a very important part of Scripture. Um, and as I was studying it this week, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. You know, and the near side of me is like, okay, you know, like I got to do better in this area. You know, I got to do better in that area. But I can see where the truth is and I can see where we want to be headed. And there's only three of them, right? There's not like 12, 15, 25, 30, you know? I mean, there's only three. And with these three, it kind of puts everything else into perspective and will help us out. And so as we go in, I think that we should probably ask ourselves the question, you know, could you actually use the words fruitful, victorious, faithful? Could you use them to describe how you give, how you pray, or how you fast? Right? That's kind of a preview of the three things of where we're headed. Could you and would you actually use those type of words to describe like how we give, how we pray, and how we fast? Would those be the type of words that you would use? Or maybe you'd have another set of words that you wouldn't want to tell anybody about. But the goal is that we want to get to those words. So, let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Let's all turn there. Hopefully you're there. And uh, let's read through it. And then we'll kind of uh, talk about what Jesus is talking about here. So here's what Jesus says, right? We pick up again. We're again around the Sermon on the Mount. He's giving uh, his message on this hillside. A bunch of people are there listening captive audience and he's trying to put set the record straight we already talked about how the religious leaders they crave those three A's um, he's trying to set the record straight and let them know what God really wants so verse 1 it says be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them if you do you'll have no reward from your father in heaven it says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, right? Hypocrites are seeing that word already. How they do in the synagogue. You probably want to underline that if you've got your Bible there, if you've got something to write with. And on the streets. I would underline that part too. So don't sound with trumpets, announce in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth. They have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, right? Which you underlined before. And on the street corners, right? Which you underlined before. To be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. And a lot of us have heard this one before, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts 
as we also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And Jesus kind of closes up the same thing right here in verse 16. 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth. They have received the reward in full. But when you fast, pull oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So we can see a couple of phrases. And we can see some things that jump out right away. And when you read the Bible, you want to try and find patterns. You want to try and see, like, why is God putting us in there? What is Jesus trying to say? And some phrases that certainly that we saw, right, were synagogues and on the streets. And he said, having the reward in full and in secret, right? And so the message is entitled, right, Your Secrets. It's about your secrets. So, let's get into what Jesus is talking about. So he says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them if you do you have no reward from your father in heaven and so in verse 2 he goes when you give to the needy do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets to be honored by men right in case we didn't know it or not and I guess this message could be kind of convoluted based on this kind of society we live in uh, giving certainly has to be a part of every Christian and generosity is a fundamental part of Christianity. Generosity is. And of course, you know, the question gets into, okay, like how much? What am I supposed to give? Is it pre-taxes? Is it post-taxes? You know, what do we have to do, right? It gets into all that stuff and the nitty-gritty. And, um, you know, the, the, the short answer, you know, when we get to the passages in the Bible that talk about that, we'll get right into that. Um, but the short answer is that we should be generous and we should give joyfully and with a cheerful heart. And if it's not there, you're just better off not giving. And so that's what the Bible teaches us. And, and we'll get back to that later on. But it should be a part. And in this particular case, he's not necessarily really talking about the church, but he's talking about giving to poor. When I was... Uh, Maybe you've had this experience before. Um, not too long ago. It's actually happened a couple times, both in Waterbury. Um, so we're in the parking lot. I think we're coming out of, I don't remember, Office Max, I think. And a uh, guy comes up to us. Actually, no, it wasn't um, a guy. It was a woman and her son. And so she approaches us and says, hey, you know, hey, listen, you know, we haven't had, um, you know, any dinner tonight. We don't have any money. And uh, me and my son, you know, we got to eat. And so you may have been put in that situation before. And me and my wife are there. And uh, I'm like, okay, you know, um, I don't have any cash on me, but I'll go with you right now, you know, to McDonald's, you know, and we'll go buy you guys dinner and we can hang out. And she's like, no, no, you know, I don't want to go there. You know, that's, that's sad, you know, as soon as you hear that, because then you know there's more to the story. You know, and then the sad part is, you know, she's using her kid as leverage, and it's just sad, you know. And so you certainly want to help and, like, give, you know, to the poor in that case, but, you know, because you also want to be wise about it, too. You know, and the reason why, you know, I use an example like that is because we're certainly called to be generous, you know, and give and certainly help those that are in need. But we also kind of have to use our brains a little bit and be smart about it. Um, because sometimes it might even pay off. There's another time in Waterbury, at the Home Depot there, you know, uh, getting some stuff or working on the house or whatever I was doing. And 
um, had a, again a, a man and a woman come up and say, "Hey, you know, we haven't had any dinner. It was at night. Haven't had any dinner. Uh, can you can you help us out with some money? Anything you got?" And uh, again, it's kind of my standard answer, you know. Hey, uh, I'll go I'll go buy something. There's Dunkin' Donuts right there. Let's go eat. And they took me up. Okay, sure, let's go. You know. So then we went right over there. And um, we ended up having a great conversation. Got a chance to know them. They got a chance to know me. Um, we got a chance to pray together right there in the parking lot. And so it was great. I mean, we never know, you know, where that might lead. Um, but that kind of thing is, you know, should just be a regular part of the Christian's life. We see people that are in need. We're generous. And we just go and help them out. Now, I guess another option, which is the option they chose, I guess we could go down to the green. I could get like a really nice robe. Um, I could set up like a huge sound system. And we could like start calling people over and just make a huge spectacle and like have a huge celebration go off. Like if we start writing checks out to people and make sure everybody knows about us, we'll call up the Citizens News. They can come down and film it. We'll make sure it gets in the paper and you can see where I'm headed, right? Like that's what they wanted to do. And that's why I said, right, they would do it in the synagogues and right on the streets. And why? It says right there, to be honored by men. Jesus said, like, what are you doing? Like, you're not giving to the poor because you actually care about them. You just want people to know what you're doing, you know, to get that admiration, to get that applause, to get that acceptance. And then later on what they're going to do because once, they, 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 once these Pharisees and the religious leaders know that those people are thinking that about them, the really sad part is, later on, they're going to use that as leverage and kind of take more from them later. Horrible. They're like wolves, right? And so that's why Jesus was like, he wasn't just annoyed, he was really fed up with these guys. Because that's not at all what God's intent was behind giving and generosity. And they totally exploited it. So that's as far as giving goes. Um, but what about prayer? Because that's the next spiritual discipline that we're going to talk about. Right? So I said that there was three that I think it transforms our lives forever if we actually do them in the way that God calls us to do them and if we're consistent with them. First one being prayer. I, I'm sorry. First one being giving. The second one here is going to be prayer. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to show a short little uh, video clip that has to do with prayer and then we're going to kind of come back and talk about it. Joel Carpenter is a new Christian, so to help him pray, we've hired that super pastor guy you see on TV. God, please help my marriage. We're just really struggling right now. Oh, Heavenly Father, He who has created all things makes the sun and moon rise at His command. I beseech you, take this woman that you've given to me as a helpmate and bring her to her senses that we might abide together forever in a purpose-driven marriage. God, I'm really frustrated at work. Let me find a new job. I ask you now, in this area of employment, thee who gives me the sustenance in an employer fashion, please guide me to something, if it be your will, that would bring you glory. My kids are driving me crazy. I, I don't know what to do. You just help me out. You have blessed me also with many young saplings. And I ask it this day that you would help me and my helpmate to raise them in the way of your word. Amen, God. 
And now I end this time with you, Lord, bowing before you, giving you all that you deserve in sacrifice and in sacrament. Let it be known that the Alpha Omega is pleased. Amen. God go. Real people, real prayers. <laughs> Right, so obviously pretty goofy, pretty funny. Um, but I think, you know, maybe sometimes you might think that, man, we just got to like have these like prayers with the right words and the right prayer person, you know. And then God will really hear them, you know. And then, then it will be effective and, and God will listen. And maybe he'll even he'll answer them, right? Um, I think that maybe a lot of people, you know, think like that. But in reality, prayer, right, the purpose of prayer is to glorify God's name, and to ask for help to accomplish His will on earth. Like, that's the point of prayer. Literally to open up the floodgates, right? It's like that picture is up there. It's literally to open up the floodgates of heaven. That's why we open prayer, to open up those doors, because God's not really going to violate our own free will, our own choices. But when we give Him permission, and we ask for His guidance, we ask for direction, He could open up the floodgates, and then who knows what's going to happen after that. It could be amazing, right? That is the point. So, as far as prayers, what should they look like? Should we have the professional pastor guy, you know, pray for us? Well, no. Not really, right? This was just intended to be kind of a model prayer that we read through. As far as, you know, they call it um, the Lord's Prayer. You know, it's really the model prayer. We don't exactly have to get into a routine of saying that all the time. But as far as like what should prayer look like, you know, is something like this appropriate? You know, that's Tim Tebow up there. You know, Tebowing is like this new thing now. And so I work at a school and the kids, you know, they're kids. And, you know, Mr. Murphy, did you see Tebow? He did the Tebowing, you know. And so the Tebowing, right, he's getting down on one knee, just like that. And what he does is he prays, okay? And, and so everybody's picked that up and they've noticed that. And so when, it, when he first started to do it, I saw on Yahoo News, you know, uh, Tebow is Tebowing or something like that. You know, when it first started to come out, I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. So I read the article. You know, so I read the article. And then like most things on Yahoo, you know, when you skip down to the comments, that's when you really get into the funny stuff. Um, so I skipped down to the comments just to see what people leave. And it was kind of a mixed reaction. Um, I would say that probably most people that left the comments were religious in some sort of way. And it was either like, you know what, he shouldn't do that, you know, because what we just read, you know, says you should just, you know, go into your room, close the door, do what you have to do uh, in secret. And then um, the other side was other people were like, no, you know, you should try and use his platform, you know, to uh, bring glory to God, and, and it's okay to pray in public. And so then the question is, you know, it's like, okay, well... You know, well, what is it? You know, is it what we're reading here? Or, you know, how do we balance this with this and trying to, like, be a light? Because at the same time, we're going to be a light, and God might put us in those positions. Um, so how are we supposed to handle that? You know, how are we supposed to handle that? I think that the answer lies within the passage we just read. As far as these people who they would go on the synagogues and street corners so that they would be noticed, applauded, right? So that people would react to them and think really highly of them. Now, if this guy, 
Tim Tebow is doing it for that reason, then yeah, he's in a world of trouble. But if he's not, and he's really trying to do it just to bring glory to God, well man, that's a pretty awesome thing. And so who am I to say what his motivation is and his intent is? I really don't know. God knows for sure. I don't know. But what we will find out is over time, we'll find out if this is the real deal or not, right? We'll surely see. Dr. Robert A. Cook. You might hear this guy sometimes on 104.9. One of the the few Christian channels we have in Connecticut. Here's what he said about prayer. He said, all of us, just talking in a generalized term, all of us have one routine prayer in our system. And once we get rid of it, then we can really start to pray. (laughs) Right? We have our one routine prayer, and then once that thing is out of there, and we got nothing else left to say, we got no other words... Then we can really start to pray. Because at that point, then we really get to the issue. Think that repetition is okay when we pray, but vain repetition is not. Okay, so the prayer that we saw, right, this prayer is probably better entitled the model prayer. Not really the Lord's prayer, because He didn't pray it. And if we wanted to know like how Jesus prayed and what He prayed, you go to another part of the Bible. That's the one that Frankie shared with us a couple weeks ago in John 17. That's when Jesus was actually praying. And he was praying for us. He was praying for future believers. And you can see the types of words and what he said and how he did that. It's not really the Lord's Prayer. It's just kind of a model prayer. Basic outline. Things you should include. Things that are important. So it's meant to be as a pattern, not as a substitute. Because honestly, it's supposed to be not a labor of the tongue, but a labor of the soul should be not just a labor of the tongue or just giving lip service and you just you said those words but a truly labor of the soul and so that's why when things happen and things come up in life crises situations one phrase that I like that I stole from another pastor was that you don't want to waste a perfectly good crisis don't want to waste it because at that point in time maybe those other prayers you used to get away with before as far as just kind of saying them and just kind of going through the motions. Now when that crisis comes, it doesn't get it done anymore. And now the real deal comes out where maybe you're on the floor, maybe there's tears behind it, maybe you got nothing else to say, maybe it's filled with head shaking and doubt and fear and questions and trembling. Now we've entered the real prayer zone. Right? That's the part that Jesus is talking about. And that is not a bad place to be. And unfortunately for a lot of us, it takes a lot to get us there. When we're actually called to lock ourselves in that closet, spend that time with God as often as we possibly can and try and gain some perspective, try and soak in some power from the Holy Spirit, equip us and arm us to go deal with whatever that day is going to bring because who knows what it's going to bring. Who knows what doors might need to be closed and might need to be open. And only the wisdom from above can really help us. So why does he want us to be in secret, in a closet by ourselves? And I think there's some value in thinking about that question. Why would he want us to be like alone, in secret, by ourselves? Well... I think there's a lot of value to no distractions where you're completely undisturbed and where you're totally unseen. I think that's why. 
so let's move on to that third discipline, right? We did the first one, right, as far as giving goes and trying to be a faithful giver. Second discipline, certainly being prayer and what should be included in it. And then our third discipline being fasting. So what is going on with fasting? So Jesus says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, take a shower. So it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So once again, as the other two... Fasting is a part of every Christian and is a foundational part of Christianity. Because notice the words. It says, when you fast. Not like if you do. Right? It's when. It is assumed that it is a part of our lives and that's something that we're doing, that's something that we live in. It's pretty important. The model has been set by other people throughout the Bible if you read it, right? Elijah has done it. Moses has done it. David has done it. Paul has done it. It's a regular part. You look at Jesus' life. It's just integrated. It's just a normal part of living. Now, fasting is not just purposeful absence from things like where you're just kind of cutting it out and then that's just it. See, the school where I work um, you know, they try and do things to get the students involved as far as, you know, the sacraments and Christian living, try and get them to think about it and things like that. And they have um, this particular, uh, it's not really an event, but I guess opportunity to where they can experience fasting and it's up to them. And what they can do is uh, they can sign this uh, form and they can, you know, fast lunch, you know, for the day. And... Uh, I think they get some water or some rice or something if they want. You know, it kind of exposes them to it. Um, but what they have this whole build-up and they talk about it. Um, but what they do is they never really get to the heart of fasting. It's like they really emphasize the part of sacrificing yourself and thinking of the poor because like since the poor are poor, like they don't have food to eat. And so you should think about that when you're fasting and like that's the fast. Like that's the point of fasting. But it misses kind of the whole other aspect of trying to actually sacrifice ourselves to plug into God for maybe His wisdom, His guidance, His protection, to just take that desire and just reflect back in a prayerful attitude. Because that's what fasting really is. It's sacrificing it and then filling it in with God. Right? You get rid of other stuff and then you fill that void with whatever, whatever you can with God. Usually it's in prayer. And that's the way it goes. And like we said, Moses did it when he got the law. Elijah did it to guide the nation. Jesus did it in the desert. Paul did it. All these people do it. Um, And usually when we do it, it's usually because we need guidance, wisdom, direction, or just a greater portion of God. There are big decisions in life. You know, do I invest here? Do I send my kids there? Do I hang out with this person? Do I not? Like, there's a lot of things in life. There's, it seems like it's sort of gray area and it's not real clear and it's like, well, either way, it doesn't necessarily seem like a bad decision. That's a perfect opportunity to fast about it. And really put it before God and say, hey, listen, I, I don't know, but I, it doesn't seem like either one's necessarily wrong, but I want to do the wisest. And so it's a perfect opportunity for fasting. 
wisdom, direction, or that last part, just a greater portion of God. Maybe you can relate. I know I certainly can. Where it just comes a point where it's just like, you know, I'm just, I don't know. I'm trying to do the best that I can. I'm trying to be faithful to what God asks. But it just seems like, maybe it just might be calling more of me. There's just like a stirring inside and it's just a little bit unsettled. That's perfect fast time. And I would encourage you to take advantage of that. Perfect fast time. You just need a greater portion of Him in your life just to, for whatever reason. Don't exactly know. But I guarantee He'll make it clear. So to close, the question from the beginning, do you want a Christian life that is full of, that has stories of, that includes victory, faithfulness, enrichment, peace? Here are the secrets Here's where they are. Jesus just told them to us. They're revealed to us. The question really is, do we have the courage to step up and actually do it? That's really the question. Do we actually have the courage to actually get alone by ourselves and actually put these things into practice and trust God with them, no matter the outcome? And would we do it when we're riding high and feeling good? And when we do it when we're down in the valley and just struggling just to make it, thinking if there even is a God out there. Because unfortunately for many of us, many of us, our secret place, our private place, our private time, may be very different to what Jesus describes. And it might also be very similar. If it's similar, that's great. And I think this is probably a great encouragement to you today. But if it's different... Hopefully we're also convicted. Because here's the bottom line. If we're going to be Christians and faith followers, you cannot be in public what you do not practice in private. You can't be in public what you don't practice in private. You just can't do it. It's not going to work. It's not going to add up. It's going to seem weird. It's going to seem strange. It's going to seem fake. It's going to seem hypocritical. Right? It's going to seem hypocritical. Because hypocrisy is going to rob us of true Christian living. It makes a substitution. It makes a change. What does it substitute? It substitutes reputation for character. Public perception for what I actually am. We don't want to make that trade. That is not a bad trade. Right? Hypocrisy robs us of true Christian living. When we substitute public perception for character, always a loss. Always a loss. That's what these guys did. Public perception. Everybody thinks I'm pretty holy. I give really well. I make awesome prayers. And when I'm fasting, everybody knows about it. And I do it all the time. So they think great about me. But your character is garbage. Right? And so Jesus came up to them. He actually started name calling them. Right? And he called them your whitewashed tomb. Because on the outside you look so great. And on the inside you're ugly and disgusting and vile. And I know it. And you're not getting away with it. So the question is, right, how can I, how can we avoid this type of hypocrisy? How can we do it? That's the question. How can we do it? We have to be honest with God in our secret private life. We've got to be honest. Are we going to be honest with God in our secret private life? And we also need to keep tabs and evaluate ourselves. I mean, truly evaluate ourselves when our reputation, when what people think about us starts to be more important than our character. 
think those are the two ways where we can really start to guard against it. Being honest with God in our secret life and in our prayer lives. And then also, keeping a tab on when what people think about me becomes more important than my character. Those are certainly two ways that can definitely help us. And so what we're going to do is that we're going to have the band uh, kind of close up. Uh, come on up. We're going to close uh, with one song. And then we will uh, we'll close in prayer. Um, I really and truly believe um, that those three disciplines really will radically change our Christian lives. I really, truly, wholly believe it. Um, mainly because of personal experience. And so a temptation for me was to be like, okay, when I fasted, like, I was able to do this. And when I prayed, I was able to do this. And, you know, I just... Got... But I think that if I were to do something like that, that sort of defeats the whole purpose of what we're talking about today. It's like, then I'm trying to put myself in a spot where you recognize what I'm doing. And that's not, like, what I want to do. So I want to, like, leave it, you know, up to you, where it's like, those three disciplines, let me make sure that I'm just faithful in those areas. And let's just see what God does. And so, uh, I think we're going to close with He Knows My Name. We're going to close with. Mm -hmm. um, and so, that's an encouraging song where, you know, God tells us He really knows what's going on in that secret and private time. And so, I would encourage you to use this time to really communicate with Him and also repent if you need to, too. So, you want to take advantage of that, too.